Tonight, I want to talk to you for tonight and for the next several lessons on the Ten Commandments today. And when you start talking about the Ten Commandments, the views toward them vary. Uh, I hear some people look and they talk about the Ten Commandments as if there are good suggestions by which one should live. In other words, they're not necessarily commandments. They never were really commandments. They were more like the Ten Suggestions. And uh, they leave the idea that what a person may do is choose which ones of these commandments they want to keep and then they can keep those and the others they want to not live by, you know, like the ones on adultery and lying and stealing, uh, they tend to want to uh, dispose of those. On the other hand, there are those who believe they are binding laws on everyone today. In fact, they've been binding from the time that they were given on Mount Sinai. Uh, this afternoon, I read probably eight or nine websites where people would say, but you have to understand there are people going to tell you they're not binding, but they are, and they're still binding. In fact, while we were on our way to the Bible Bowl, there was a church uh, on the side of the road that had the Ten Commandments placed right in front of their building. Another view is, is that they were binding on Israel and God gave them to Israel, but they are only binding on us today as they are restated in the New Testament. And in fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, that's the view that I will hold and will teach as we go through this series of lessons and point out to you that all of the Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament with the exception of the fourth command, and that is to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So what I want to do tonight is I want to begin by us talking about some things. A little of this is introduction, but some of it I think is applicable. And asking the question, do we need rules? Do we need laws? Do we need commandments given to us by God? And then when we start thinking about the Ten Commandments, I think we need to ask the question, do these rules that we need, if we need them, do they apply to us today? And then number three, I want to digest the first command and look and see what it really says and what it would really mean. Let's begin, first of all, do we need rules? There's actually a term for people who don't believe in rules. It's called antinomian. And it's actually built, it's a two-part word, a compound word. Anti means against, nomos is the word for law. And so they believe that we don't have any law. And I have talked to folks this week who actually believe that that's what the Bible teaches, that we're not under any kind of law. Let me give you a for instance. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, Paul writes, for Christ is the end of the law for, every, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And they would say, see, when Christ came, he brought a different system. It's not a system of law. Romans 6 and verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And you say, see, they're saying there's a difference. Old Testament is law, New Testament is grace. And in fact, they will refer to John 1 and verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
There are those who would suggest that we don't say that there's law in the Bible for us. We say there's grace in the Bible for us as if we're not under any law. But I would suggest to you that people really don't understand grace when they speak like that. Their idea of grace is I can say anything, I can do anything, and then God's marvelous grace somehow just says, okay, that's all right. You're, you're my child. I love you regardless of what you do. But I'd like to point out to you that the word grace, as is used in the Bible many times, denotes or carries with it the idea of instruction. Let me carry you to Titus chapter 2 beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. So the grace of God has come. But now what does that grace do? Look at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You mean grace teaches us to live a certain type life? Yes, it does. Well, if it does that, then that has to involve some rules. That has to say that this is ungodly. This is worldly. Then he goes on to say, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify to himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort. Rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Titus was to teach these things to people which involve law. Well, let me step back and say, do we really need laws? Do we need rules? Do we need this guidance? I suggest to you we do. We really need them. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah looked at the condition of Israel. How Israel had turned her back on God and God had begged with and pleaded with everything that he could do to get Israel to change. And Israel was stubborn. And here's what Jeremiah says. Oh Lord, I know the way of man. It is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Do you mean that if you turn me loose and you don't give me any direction... I will not turn out to be what I ought to be. That's correct. I think you can see that yourself. What about all these little children at Walmart? Their parents never correct them. They never, they never give them a word, a rule, a, a responsibility. And you see these children standing up in buggies, screaming at the top of their lungs, and sometimes using profanity toward their parents. And I often want to go and say, would you like for me to whip your child for you? But uh, I don't want to end up in jail. Uh, but the truth is, without rules, people do whatever they want to do. If you go to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, our problem is we can think in our minds, hey, this looks good, this looks right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, really important verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. 
In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You see, don't lean on your own thinking. Don't lean on your own understanding. I'll tell you what happens when you turn people loose and you don't give them rules. Look to the book of Judges. In Judges 21 and verse 25, a summary verse of really the theme of the book of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And they went astray. You really can't have morals without God. When you and I think about rules and obligations and commands, we need them. We need God to tell us this is the way that leads to bad things. This is the way that leads to right things. So God saw man's need and God provided for that. Let me take you through some scriptures. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 13, I preached from chapter 8 this morning just briefly introducing our lesson. When you get to chapter 9, Nehemiah is reflecting, and here's what he says. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Did you see all those adjectives in there? Just, true, good That's what these Ten Commandments were. These are things that man really needed and God provided the structure for man. In Galatians 3 and verse 19, Paul is reflecting on the Old Testament law and what its purpose was. And he said, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was or pointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. God saw the transgressions of man, and so God provided a law to say, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to not do this. But in my judgment, my personal opinion, there's no better passage than Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. Because Paul is dealing with people who are asking the question, Was that Old Testament law good? What was the purpose of it then if it's no longer binding upon us? Here's what he says. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when this commandment came in, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear to be sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. 
the key verse to me is verse 13. The law showed sin, wrong things, to be sin. And what it did, it explained to me how bad it was. You know, that Old Testament, when I commit a sin, there's got to be a blood sacrifice. Something's got to die. An animal's going to have to die because of what I've done. And so I begin to understand there's a penalty paid. Yes, when I come to the New Testament, I understand the penalty is the blood of Christ, the perfect sacrificial lamb. One should be thankful that God has shown man the right way. I'm thankful for the rules and the laws. But now let's talk about the Ten Commandments, but more specifically. Do these rules apply? Because when you start asking which ones apply and which ones do not apply in the Bible, we talked about that as we talked about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, applying the Bible. We are not under the Ten Commandments. I don't know how any plainer to put it than that. But you don't accept that because I say we're not under the Ten Commandments. You accept that because that's what the Scriptures teach. And I'm going to provide you proof for that. If you go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, Paul's dealing with Judaizers that's coming through Colossae and they're trying to teach people to go back and be under the Old Testament law. And Here's the way Paul would address that. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that was against us, that was contrary to us, and he's taking it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. How do I know he's talking about the Old Testament? I see the word Sabbaths in there. I see the food and drink requirements. Then I get to verse 17, and he said, These things were but a shadow. They were forepicturing the coming of a better law, which was the new covenant. I had a discussion one time with a family that uh, they had asked me to perform the wedding ceremony for their daughter, and they were Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, I said... Let's talk about that. I'd like to come and have a Bible study at your house. They said, sure, come on. We want to talk about it. And I, I was really thrilled for the opportunity to go and sit down in their home and talk to them. And obviously you know where the discussion is going to go. It's going to go to the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And my initial explanation was is that we are not under the Ten Commandments and here's what the lady of the house said. But you've got to understand that what Moses did, he wrote many of the laws on paper, papyrus. But God wrote with his own finger the Ten Commandments on stone. And that indicates they're permanent. They're, they're meant to last because they're written by God and they're written on stone. 
And I ask her, I said, well, will you turn with me to 2 Corinthians? Let's go to chapter 3. And I'm just going to pull out two of the verses. You could spend a lot of time. We spent probably close to an hour on 2 Corinthians 3. But I want you to notice, Paul is going to talk about the letter that gives life, or letter that brings death, and the spirit that brings life. And he's going to contrast the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's the way he put it in verse 7. But of the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. You see, Moses, when he spoke with God, his face would glow. And so what Moses would do is to put a veil over his face so the children of Israel didn't see the dissipation or the going away of that glow that was on his face. And so what he's saying is the giving of that law was glorious. What was written engraved on stones. But we're going to drop down to verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious... What remains is much more glorious. And what Paul is saying is the Old Testament's passed away and the New Testament is here. The Old Testament, we're not putting it down. We're not saying it was bad. It was glorious. But the New Covenant is even more glorious. And I told her, I said, Paul said what was written and engraved on stones was passing away. And I remember the blank look that was on the lady's face when she finally realized, how do you deal with that? Of course, I can usually tell you what happens with Bible studies when people realize that what they're practicing is not what the Bible teaches. That's when the Bible studies usually come to an end. And that one did. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13 says... In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Chapter 10, verse 9. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. You have to have the removal of the Old Testament law before you can have a new covenant. Or else you would have people under two laws at one time. And I will tell you, that's what Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4 is discussing. And someone says, well, what about what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but fulfill. Jesus didn't come to say that what God had given Moses was not valuable, was not correct. In fact, it was. It was that law that pointed forward to the coming of Jesus. However, Jesus fulfilled them. He brought them to a completion. He brought them to an end. But there are rules. There are laws under the New Testament. For people who would come and say, now the law was given by Moses, but Jesus brought grace and truth, and there was law then, but there's no law now. Let me point out to you something. Romans 4.15 says, where there is no law, there's no transgression. 
If there's no law today, then there's not a person who's a sinner. You ever thought about that? If there's no law. If you go out here on the bypass, and I know what the speed limit is out here, but if all of a sudden the government repealed all of our speed laws, how fast could you drive legally? Like the Audubon, as fast as you want to drive. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. If there are no laws under the new covenant, then you and I have no sin. I think you're smart enough to know that's not correct. Paul will put it like this in Romans 8 verse 2. For the spirit, or the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now what does he call the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? That's a law. 1 Corinthians 9, 21, Paul would say, To those who are without laws, without law. And then he parenthetically states, Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. If you say Paul is teaching no law, then you've misunderstood Paul. And Jesus summarized it like this. In Matthew 22, he was asked, What are the greatest commandments? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus dealt with it like this in saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made a very valuable statement. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. I suggest to you when you study the Ten Commandments, we're going to see the first ones are going to relate to man's relationship to God and then the final ones will relate to man's relationship to man. In Romans 13 and verse 9, Paul said, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is just repeating what Jesus said. So there are the restatements of these in the New Testament. So very, very, very quickly now, let me digest the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Shall have no is a prohibited command. That is, it says this is something you don't do. Gods, plural, more than one, could be uh, two, three, four, but this is anything other than God. Because he says, before me or besides me. And I would like to spend a little bit of time with that, but to point out to you that the word before means before my face. And uh, I don't want to see any other gods before my face. There shouldn't be anyone but me. The relationship here with God is exclusive in the same way it should be in marriage. Just like, for instance, a husband and wife Once they consummate their marriage and they are married to one another, they should resolve that they would be for that person and that person alone till death do us part. And with regards to God, for a person to choose someone else is to commit spiritual adultery. In Isaiah 54, 5, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, he is called the God of the whole earth. You're married to God. 
Israel was told in Jeremiah 3.20, Surely as a treacherous wife departs from her husband, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. You just went off and left me just like a wife goes off and leaves her husband for another man. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul would write, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Really, there is just one God, not many. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6, Paul says, In this world there's gods many, lords many, yet for us there is just one God, verse 6. And Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, he talks about there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We get to verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. This would eliminate things like atheism that says there is no God. It would eliminate polytheism, which says there's many gods. There's one and only one God and the correct one. Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. And when Jesus was challenged by Satan in the giving of the temptations, he said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 4.35, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, there is none other besides him. That's all there is. And when Elijah stood on top of Mount Carmel, and Ahab and Jezebel had all these prophets of Baal surrounding them, they were taking care of them, they were providing for their food. Elijah said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him or follow him. But if Baal follow him, but the people answered him, not a word. You see, what the first commandment does is said, you've got to make up your mind. There is just one God, and you can't have anyone else but the God of heaven. Our relationship with God is to acknowledge him as the only true God. Jesus, in John 17, is praying a prayer. In the first part of his prayer, he acknowledges his Father, and he says that um, when you get to verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If he is God, then we must submit to him in obedience. There's simply no other way. Tonight, is God your God? Are you following him? If not, then you need to make things right. To make it right, if you're not a Christian, you become a child of God through faith in Jesus, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized. If you are a Christian, that is, you have named the name of Christ, you said, I'm following him, you need to live like that. And it may be that you need to be restored Neither way, if you need to come forward, we encourage you to do while we stand and sing.